Want more of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to podcast episode number 20, my friends. Wow, how time flies when you're having fun. And I am having fun doing these podcasts. Absolutely enjoy it. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just a world of fun. Hopefully it's bringing you some education as well. Got an exciting one to talk about here today. Uh, financial planning. Uh, wow, we cover it all. Uh, Rob Klein is my guest today. We had a long conversation. Unfortunately, the software I use only gives me an hour. Uh, so I cut the last five minutes off our conversation. Um, I couldn't get it back. I'm sure there's a way to get it back, but it's, it's still good. The, the, the meat and potatoes are in everything we talked about. It's a wonderful conversation we had with Rob Klein. Uh, Rob uh, is out of New York City area. Medicare long-term care and aging in place is his uh, practice. Uh, Klein is K-L-E-I-N, Rob Klein, K-L-E-I-N. And you definitely want to look him up on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm telling you, this guy is just a knowledgeable as, as anyone I've ever heard, actually, when it comes to this stuff, and including Medicare Part B, Part D, supplemental policies, the old Medicare Advantage, uh, the changes that are happening. I mean, the thing about financial planning, and I'm just as guilty as anyone, um, is that financial planning, we, we don't talk about Medicare. Uh, we just recently got involved in Social Security, but we don't talk about Medicare that much. And and yet everyone is affected by Medicare. Everyone is. And Medicare is huge if you don't do it right. And uh, Rob shares with us some strategies on how to do it right uh, in terms of not getting hammered when it comes to your Medicare premiums looking at different options to reduce your premiums. Um, and, and this is going to affect anybody, you know, Joe Millionaire down next door or Grandma Jones up the street. Everybody is affected by Medicare. And there's some significant penalties if you don't sign up. There's significant penalties if you do it wrong. There's huge premium increases if you do it wrong. Um, I cannot stress enough how, how just... I, the financial planning industry really needs to get off on this. And again, I'm looking at myself here too, and I'm going to make a mission to study this stuff because I'm uh, I'm knowledgeable, but not nearly to the extent that Rob was. And, and I wouldn't expect to be actually. That's his specialty. That's his niche. He should be more knowledgeable that than me. Uh, but in terms of the vast majority of financial planners, man alive, Medicare planning is definitely something that we are in single A baseball, if not rookie league, actually. And we really need to up our game. So it's going to be a good conversation. You get a lot out of this. Um, again, Rob Klein, look him up on LinkedIn. Uh, he did provide his phone number for contact in the blog post or in the uh, podcast. I just frankly, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. So contact me and I'll get it to you. But uh I think we'll get a lot out of this for sure. All right. So we're going to, because Rob's from New York, uh, we have to end with a song of the day. Uh, Aaron Lewis, uh, Massachusetts. Aaron Lewis is, uh, I forgot the name of the band, Stained. He did that song, Stained, about overcoming drug addiction. Uh, he's since gone on to be a, a country guy. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Aaron Lewis, actually. Um, I, I like his stuff quite a bit. As I said before, a lot of country music, pop country music, I just want to put my head into a vice and kill myself. It's horrible, horrible, especially when they're starting to incorporate some hip hop to it. I just, oh, it's painful to listen to. Aaron Lewis is not like that. And what I love about Aaron is that he is from the Northeast. <laughs> so it just shows you, you don't have to be a good old boy from the South to like country music. Aaron Lewis uh, is from Massachusetts. And, and just given that I'm from Northern New England, uh, and if you're from Northern New England, Boston is your hometown, essentially. And there are all the teams around Boston. So the guys from New York, like my man Rob here, always got to stick it to them the way we can in terms of, uh, you know, representing Northern New England, if you will. Because uh, I still, Eli Manning, that rat fink, and then, of course, the Yankees in 1977. Yeah, But anyway, so uh, and then again, the Yankees uh, was a 2003 yeah, 2003, the Yankees and the, and the Red Sox, and ALCS. But then we remember what happened with the Sox in 2004. Oh, 
Mario and Mario Rivera is literally the best pitcher that's ever been made. I mean, he was the Yankees. The guy's only like five eight or five nine. It's amazing. I saw him. I don't think I saw him. Maybe I did see him in person. I can't remember. But I just when I saw how little he was, like dag nab. He's like a buck forty in terms of weight. It's just tiny guy. And that guy could not be hit. I mean, just an amazing guy. A wonderful human being, by the way. But he just played for the wrong team. But uh, the Sox are down. Oh. Three, not 0-3 in score, 0-3 in games. Down in the eighth. Rivera is on the mound, my friends. And we won. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, it, it, then we went on to win the World Series for the first time since 1918. And I say we because I was on the team, right? Um, but, man, <laughs> you got Rivera on the mound. You're down 0-3 in the series. You're down by, I think it was a run or two. Maybe it was just a run in the bottom of the eighth. You're five outs away. From again going down in flames to the Yankees like he did the previous year with stupid Brett Boone. I just, I mean, it's, that was an incredible, incredible moment uh, for Red Sox fans. It, it, you'll never be outlived. That will never be outlived. More so than the, even the Patriots come back against the Falcons in the last year's Super Bowl. So uh, that was a song that came to my mind when I was talking with Rob. Aaron Lewis is Massachusetts. Uh, there's a good video on there. I don't know if it's official one or not, but there's a good video that kind of shows you what northern New England looks like. It's just as fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, they don't want me there because uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in free speech. I believe in lower taxes for sure. Uh, so even while New Hampshire is uh, more of a tax-friendly state, uh, a lot of the liberals uh, are moving from Massachusetts up into, into New Hampshire. And frankly, Maine is becoming the state that's a lot more progressive in terms of the way we want it to be, a lot more libertarian. Uh, Massachusetts is losing it. New Hampshire is loose, starting to lose it, but Maine is becoming the, uh, uh, I hate to say a libertarian paradise, but is under is unknown. Maine is really, with uh, Governor LePage up there, is setting the way for the libertarian mindset, you know, live live, live and get along. It's, uh, it's wonderful, and, uh, and I'm proud of Maine for doing that, but again, it's just too cold. I can't go up there, so uh, I think uh, the farthest north I'll probably ever end up would be in Pennsylvania, but It'd be a good song of the day to wrap up this interview with Rob. I hope you get a lot out of it. Don't forget to go to Heritage Wealth Planning. The very home page, you'll see the retirement readiness quiz. I'm asking you to take it and tell me what you think. Um, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited by that. It's, it's pretty, I just think it's wonderful use of technology that we have out there. And uh, give it a shot. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give me comments on stuff you want to hear. So uh, with that said, let me introduce Rob Klein, and uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks, guys. Let me introduce, so I, folks, for the folks who are listening, I got Rob Klein on the, uh, on the horn today, and, uh, and Rob and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a couple of years now, and, uh, frankly, I can't remember when or even how, but, uh, Rob's, you know, I'll let him kind of go into it himself, but anything that's related to health is Rob especially, and, and I, I'm kind of giving that short shift, and he'll go into a little bit more of his detail, but, um, the, the financial planning realm is inconsistent at best in terms of, uh, planning for Medicare, and like Rob was just saying, a uh, huge difference between Medicare and Medicaid. And the funny thing is, and this is why I wanted to talk to Rob today, is that everyone and their mom is going to be affected by health care, Medicare, and hopefully not Medicaid, but everyone's going to be affected by it to a huge extent of cost. And yet that's not part of the financial planning regimen. It's, it's mind-boggling. So, Rob, just you know, tell us who you are, where you are, what you do, and just give us the, uh, you know, the, the background. Of who you, you don't have to be too quick, but... Just to introduce yourself, you would. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on here, and I just Definitely. wanted to uh, introduce, introduce myself, and you could probably tell by my accent, I'm a New York City area guy, uh, been in the financial services industry in one shape or, or the other since 1998, and uh, probably around 2008-2009, I said, you know, after watching Lehman Brothers collapse and everything else going on in the industry, I said, there's got to be a better, better way to to handle this you know the you know planning yeah. and i was fortunate as fortunate to come across someone who was talking about medicare and mandatory costs in retirement and he taught me quite a bit um about what's considered income what isn't considered income and literally how the financial planning industry was going to be tossed on its proverbial head yeah. because no one James saying no one is talking about Medicare, and which makes absolutely no sense because it's a mandatory cost. You, you cannot, since 1993, 
You cannot collect your Social Security retirement benefit if you do not enroll in Medicare when you are eligible. And so many people don't understand that. And I'm looking through what's out there as far as designations, and there's certain things about about becoming a fiduciary, and the right. industry is trying to to uh, get uh, advisors and planners to become, you know, uh, redefine what's a what's a fiduciary. And yet, everything all goes back to the investment side, of it. <laughs> and that, and and that's yeah. and that's great. If that's great, if you're saving, but what do you do when you are no longer working? You no longer are covered by health insurance. You're no longer covered by your spouse or your um, or your partner's health plan. What do you do? And you realize that hey, I got to enroll in Medicare. Oh, and it's not free. No. And not only is it not not only is it not free, it's actually pretty pricey. And if I had the audacity to save really well when I was younger, my own savings and investing can be used against me because I could wind up paying. Even more, which means my Social Security check goes down because the rules say if I'm taking Social Security, I have to have my Medicare Part B deducted from my Social Security. So if the cost of my Medicare Part B goes up because I made too much money, well, then my check goes down further. It's not rocket science, and it just boggles the mind that nobody's talking about this. No. Well, there are a few people. No, it's true, and it's, it's just, it's, but yet everyone talks about investment A versus investment B, and I'm just like, but that is such a minute detail when it comes to your overall financial plan, and I will be guilty. My Medicare knowledge is is probably more than most, but it's not, it's lacking for sure, and that's a, that's a big problem, and if I don't have the knowledge, and I hate to sound conceited here, but I am a student of the game. I can only imagine the average Joe Stumpy out there with a CFP and, like you said, the CPA. Uh, you know, what the hell? They don't know. And, it's, and yet, it affects everybody, Rob. Everybody. It's, uh, it's boggles the mind. And one, one of the designations that's out there, it's put out by FI360. It's called the Accredited Investment Fiduciary. Yeah. And it's a and it's a wonderful designation, especially for people who are working with qualified retirement plan. And the entire thing, Josh, what they're looking at is all about, you know, time horizons, costs, you know, fees. And these are all important subjects, you know, right. things to take in mind when you, are be, when you are fiduciary and you are, you know, have, you know, uh, you know some sort of authority or custody or, or decision-making over someone else's money. These are important. You don't want yeah. to have your clients pay more. But what ultimately is going to wind up happening is, you're going to wind up inflating the amount they have. Yeah. Forget yeah. to talk about the mandatory cost, and when they're ready to receive that, that uh, the fruits of what you've helped them do, they're going to they're going to be looked at, get hit right in the face, and say, "Whoa! How come nobody told me this for the last thirty years?" Right? Yep. So go into that a little bit, Rob. Tell us about how the costs of Medicare go up. Uh, simply due to your due diligence to squirrel money away in, uh, in retirement accounts. Well, so here, so here's what happens. Medicare, Medicare doesn't look just at your regular income, and this is a this is a hard part that people, especially if you have a tax planning background, they don't understand. You know, every, no one wants to pay a lot of money in taxes. So what do we do? We talk all about this tax deferral, or or if we're an investor type, we're talking about. Uh, you know, tax-free bonds, or, yeah. or or we're talking about qualified dividends, and all about getting the you know, so you pay less in taxes while you're working. Okay, great. But here's what Medicare has done when they when we modernized Medicare in 2003 through the Medicare Modernization Act, they added um, in order to pay for the expansion of Medicare, which gave us Medicare Advantage plans, the Medicare Prescription Drug Plans Part D. Advantage plans were sometimes referred to as Part C. Nobody read the fine print. And the fine print was to pay for all this is we're going to base what you pay for Medicare on modified adjusted gross income. Hmm. Said, another, said another way, it's on your gross. And it also includes everything on line 37 on your, or above the line if you want to talk about it, line 37 on your IRS 1040 and line 8B, which is your tax-free income. 
So even though on page two of your 1040, you may legitimately lower your taxable income. You have property taxes, you have a mortgage, you gave charitable donations, you had um, um, legitimate job expenses, other types of expenses, uh, you know, subject to the 2% floor. Maybe you had medical expenses um, that you got over the hump, which depending upon what year was either 7.5% or 10% of your AGI. All that is fine and good, and that lowers your taxable income. Medicare doesn't care. They're looking at page one of the 1040, mm -hmm. which is lines 8B and line 37. And there's nothing worse than when you're sitting in front of someone, and it's happened many times, where they can legitimately get their income, if you're single, uh, 85000 and under. Um, nothing burns more than seeing them that they're still at an age, an age uh, what's called modified adjusted gross income of, let's say, 90, but their taxable income is below 85000 They're going to get hit with a 40% penalty or surcharge called IRMA, Income Related Monthly Adjustment Amount. Here's the funny thing. All of this is public information. All of this is listed on Medicare.gov, and I believe it's even on SocialSecurity.gov. You can download a small PDF. You could also see the, you know, the costs, which start at 40% and they go up, up, uh, two, up to about 220%. If you're really high income, there's an even uh, higher amount that takes, uh, hits you in the next uh, couple of years tied to the consumer price index. So this is, you know, that, that's for the 500000 and up. Right. Most, of the mass, most of the mass affluent in America, they're going to find themselves, especially if you save and put money in qualified yeah. plans, and, and now you've reached that required minimum distribution age, 70 and a half, you're going to have a higher income, potentially. And that is the wrong type of income to have later in life because it could inflate your Medicare premiums. So if you have... And if you're... Well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Uh, so if you have 84000 of modified adjusted gross income, and then you have, just say, a $5,000 IRA distribution, so now you have 89000 um, of MHEI, what does that do to your... And you're single, you know, you're a widow. What does that do to your premiums? So in 2018, and remember... Medicare looks back two years, oh. so they're going to get the information from the IRS. So if we're in 2018, right. so the 2018 premiums were based on your yearly income in 2016. Oh. So someone who is filing an individual return, let's use a widow, for example, 85000 or less, and if she's new to Medicare, because um, there's other rules too, if you were in Medicare already and your Social Security um, didn't go up, but the cost of Medicare get up. There's something called the hold harmless. That's a separate discussion. But just somebody brand new coming on to Social Security, Medicare, they're going to pay $134 a month in 2018. Your example, that, that distribution brought them up to 89000 and they're yeah. single. That, that 134 jumps to $187.50 a month. That's just, that's just for Part B. Um, there's a surcharge, which part of the um, Affordable Care Act in 2010, they, in order to help pay for that, a surcharge was added to your prescription drug plan. Now, keep in mind, the drug plans, the actual price of the drug plan is going to vary based on what plan you have, what state you're in, all of that, but there are surcharges um, on top of that. And what you have, so for instance, um, in the, uh, the premiums for that, it's the base premium, and let's use your example again, right. 85000 $85, or less, they just pay whatever the plan premium is. Right, right. But now they have that $5,000 RMD, it adds an extra $13 on top of the plan premium each month. Now, and that's... You know, someone might shrug that off, well, it's only $13, or, well, you know what, you had that $13, right. you had that other charge, right. and then, that, wait, we still haven't talked about your, your, uh, your supplemental coverage, because that's yep. another cost, too. But I didn't even think about that. Now, that's what happens to that. <laughs> so, it, 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 
it could get pretty pricey. And if you run the numbers out, like my colleagues over at Jester Financial, they built some software a few years Ooh. ago, um, and you could project this out using Medicare's own numbers and Social Security and assume an inflation rate that Social Security says the maximum COLA and the maximum and what the Medicare Board of Trustees say. And you could say like a 55-year-old couple today, national average, they're going to get up there. It's, it's actually yeah. higher than Fidelity's number. I mean, kudos to Fidelity for at least talking right. about it. Um, I believe they just upped it to 280000 That's right. Um, exactly. Um, Right. The numbers we calculate, they're, they're, they're more. They're closer to 400000 for a married couple, age 55, wants to retire around 67, 68, and expects to live at least 20 years in retirement. So it's a, a little bit higher. They earn a dollar too much. It could probably get, start getting closer to about 700000 um, maybe a little more. And if they earn the maximum, it could be over a million. Now, this includes... Medicare A, which they paid into while they were working, um, Medicare B with the surcharges, uh, you know, that are applicable, Medicare D with the surcharges, and right now, which is still um, a Medicare supplement plan F. Now, F is going, going away, uh, so it will be a G plan, which will be pretty much the same thing, except you're responsible for the Medicare Part B deductible. But which is right now less than two hundred dollars, um, but it's expensive. Where are people going to get this money from? Medicare, the supplementals are being uh, are so Part G will be income based as well, Rob. Is needs based? I mean, uh, needs. Uh, no, they're, uh, they're not. Gonna, those aren't income based. Okay. Because that's private insurance that okay. that contracts yeah. with, but it has to be part of the equation as far as calculating what's your total cost if you want to That's be right. fully covered. Because exactly. you're still paying okay. I got you. Okay, got you. Right, right. That's right. And, you know, whereas what's actually part of what's actually part of original Medicare plus the Part D, which came out later, you know, the prescription drug plan, those surcharges, um, you know, like for instance, Part D, you're not mandated to pay your premium for that out of Social Security, you could cut okay. a check to XYZ Insurance Company. Okay, okay. I generally, I generally don't recommend that because if you forget to pay the premium yes. and get mm-hmm. kicked and get kicked out, you're going to pay a penalty for going back in, and that penalty never goes away. Ooh. So, okay. what you so you want to do it? But even if you pay for it and you diligently pay for it, you know, uh, every month or every year, however you're paying your premiums, but if you're hit with a with an Irma penalty for uh, for Part B and Part D, the IRMA penalties plus Part B are automatically taken out of your Social Security check once you're, re- you know, obviously receiving Social Security. So that begs the question: How do I replace this lost income? If, right. I, if the financial, the financial planning community right. is out there telling us, "Oh, just maximize your Social Security," or "Hey, you're going to get all this money in Social Security," well, that's not true. You're not giving. You're not giving the correct information to the client because he's ignored what Medicare is going to charge. So uh, how and does Medicare, uh, just Rob, on a supplemental policy, so we know Medicare Part B and Part D, I get that, but on a, what's like a typical cost for a supplemental policy? I mean, for a premium, 100 bucks a month? I mean, I have no idea. What's, uh, I have no it, idea. It depends on, depends on the amount. I, I always recommend people, you know, go – Go look up on Medicare.gov or go search around on, on, on some of the, um, um, uh, you know, particular insurance companies out there. Uh, how Medicare works with the supplemental plans is they're, they're standardized. So a Part N, uh, excuse me, Plan N, Plan G, Plan F, Plan C, you know, there are all these different alphabet uh, letters. Uh, they are all cover the same benefits. You know, no matter what what company offers it, where it varies is by the premium. So I live yeah. in New York. Yeah. We're probably close for an F plan, depending upon what zip code you're you're up there in the in the uh, upper twos. It's close to three hundred a month. Some states will be less. Whoa, um, three hundred months of yeah. supplemental plans on top right. of all this stuff. Correct. Oh. Now you can you can go a less expensive route with the Advantage plan. And these are why these things were very popular, and it's also a big reason why the AARP 
was was for the Affordable Care Act because the Affordable Care Act took a lot of the money that was out of Medicare that was going to these uh, um, Advantage plans. Keep right. in mind, the Advantage plan is basically an HMO or yeah. a PPO in some yeah. cases where your private insurance company is basically as a partnership with, with Medicare and those are based upon, you know, your zip code um, and which physicians, you know, take them. Now, if you're in some parts of the country, they're wonderful. Um, other parts of the country, you may wake up one day and realize you don't have that many doctors and providers in your network. Yeah. And so even though you're paying less per month, because in, in, in some cases, some cases, some of these Advantage plans have no additional cost above and beyond what your Medicare Part B premium is. So people like those. And, of course, people forget to realize that there's a deductible associated with those plans that have no premium. Um, many cases, I, I know like uh, some of them here in New York, it's a $6,700 um, deductible. And if you're pretty healthy and if you have a family history of, you know, dying in your sleep, and maybe that's a maybe that's a great option to have because yeah. your premiums will could be zero, zero to yeah. us maybe a hundred bucks a month out of pocket where you know above and beyond your Medicare Part B, and some of these Medicare Advantage plans offer things that original Medicare do not offer, like certain coverage for uh, durable medical equipment. Some might have vision coverage. Some might have some dental thrown in. Um, not all of the Advantage plans have uh, a prescription drug plan built in. Some, many do. And keep in mind, if you get your prescription drug plan through an Advantage plan, you cannot also have part, you cannot have a Part D as well. That's one or the other. Either go, either go original Medicare or, you know, with a with supplement in Part D or you go the Advantage. Um, and there are pros and, like I said, there's pros and cons, and that's where you work with an expert on these. My concern is, okay, now we know that this is, could be very expensive. My, my monthly income is not what my financial planner told me. Yes, right. No, uh, man, that is so spot. I, <laughs> and that's frustrating. Absolutely. No. And that is where I see, personally see, and I'm not an attorney. I'm, you know, I'm not a fiduciary expert. Right. But my brain is telling me, my gut is telling me at some point, Someone is going to figure all of this out and realize that if you're talking to people about retirement and right. you're ignoring a mandatory and very expensive cost that's going to lower retirement income, I would think that's a problem if you're, if you're calling yourself a fiduciary. <laughs> well, um, it wasn't that wrong because think about this. Not only are we not looking at Medicare and all the costs affiliated with that, but we're running these Monte Carlo projections without factoring in taxes, without factoring investment portfolio expenses as well. And that actually kicks me off to no, to no degree, So or every, whatever it is. So anyway, we're saying, oh, you know, Mrs. Klein, you're going to be fine with your $400,000 portfolio because our Monte Carlo projections show that you can spend X, Y, and Z without including any of the taxes, any of the fees that you're paying, the 1% fee or whatever, and never mind the Medicare and all the other stuff that goes with it. It's just, it's, but yet you're holding yourself as a fiduciary. So now Mrs. Klein, Grandma Klein, 88 years old, gets hit with this tax bill through the roof because she has to take more and more of her IRA out to pay her property taxes, to pay all these other things. You know, she's still paying a 1% fee to the investment advisor. Never mind her Medicare now is going through the roof. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely, uh, I don't even want to say disingenuous, but it's ignorance, you know, but even worse than that, Rob, is ignorance that's, that's cloaking itself as a fiduciary. You see what I'm saying? And it's, uh, it, it's, not, it's not good. It actually makes me mad. So and that's why you, and you can't plead, you can't plead ignorance in fiduciary matters because, and this is the point I keep trying to tell people, this is not new. I didn't just invent this, okay? Some of what we've discussed right here, talking to each other, goes back to 1993. Some of it goes to 2003. Some of it goes to 2010. 
You're right. in 2018. Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> this, didn't just, this didn't just come up. And, you know, and if, people, if you want me to talk about some of the solutions on how to plan um, for health care costs, you know, the mandatory part, yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's the um, likely, although not mandatory, which is long-term care, which is a different discussion. Right, uh, but right. it is it, it is kind of hand in hand with this because even if you do plan to keep your Medicare premiums as low as you can, I mean sometimes you can't, and depending upon your age, is not enough time to plan and and change things up so that it doesn't become a problem. You still got to worry about long term care, and that's another issue that I I believe that the um, financial planning community does not talk enough about because there's so many different ways to solve it um, using a combination of of, um, of, uh, of of strategies, but back to Medicare, right. how to solve this? How to solve this problem is the first thing is to understand what does Medicare not treat as income, and the first thing is is health savings accounts. So if I'm working for an employer, or if I'm self-employed, and I have a high deductible health care plan for my for my health insurance, and I marry that with the health savings account, well, that money that goes inside the health savings account, everybody knows I can get a deduction on the money going in and the money goes tax deferred. But what a lot of people don't realize is that if it's used for qualified expenses on the back end, it doesn't raise my modified adjusted gross income. So that's, that's, that's an easy one to do. That's now, a if you, it's a big deal. Now, if you are a small business owner and you have well, some people like to refer to as a closely held business, you have a family business, you might want to consider doing what's called a 401H, which most, even if you talk to some CPAs and third-party plan administrators for qualified plans, most of them don't know this or they remember hearing about it years ago, but they don't really know a whole heck of a lot about it. In simple terms, a 401H is basically a health savings account on steroids. It's done through your company's pension plan, and you can put, or a retirement plan, you could put quite a bit of money inside this, like a 401k. The downside to it is, is that it's non-discriminatory. So if you put it in for all the chiefs in the operation, right. Right. you got to put it in for all the Indians on the bottom. Yeah. I mean, that's... 401k, so, heard of that. So right. I mean, there you go. And again, going back so, to Rob... Ignorance, if I'm ignorant about it, then 99.8% of my fellow CFPs are ignorant about this stuff, too, guaranteed. So at 401H, but if you have a qualified retirement plan through a, a closely held business, is that what you said? Right. Yeah, and that's where you'll see it work. So if you know you have a multiple, you know, multiple generations in a business, because the other limitation is the plan has to end when the corporate plan ends. So if you know that you have baby boomer owners, they're in their they're in their upper sixties, early seventies. They know they have their adult kids are in it. It's maybe they have some uh, grandkids that are working their way through high school, and the, you know they're gonna they're gonna wind up in this family business. This may be a great thing because yeah. you know there's continuity of the business. Absolutely, doesn't okay. work for doesn't work for everybody, but it does have its place. Another option is the hated. I say hate it because there's some people who hate it, catch value life insurance. Oh, you can't because believe you're saying life insurance. That's evil. That's right. <laughs> I know. So, but structured correctly, right. you know, if you have a plan that's structured correctly, the Absolutely. cash values, which would be taken out in a loan, those are, those are off the grid from the tax man. They're also off the grid from Medicare. So, again, someone who's 60 doesn't have a lot of time to start a, 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 uh, cash value program, but someone who's younger and yeah. might say, you know what, I don't really need this for death benefit protection. I like the concept that I could have um, some money um, that's maybe some guarantees if I'm using whole life or certain guarantees that come with certain types of universal life contracts, and it's a way for me to accumulate cash um, and potentially use it later. Well, that's off the grid. Does the, the, the um, cash the life insurance, Rob, does that have to be owned by the corporation or anything? Or can I just own a Josh owns, you know, cash value life insurance whole life, you know, and, you know, let's say I'm 35 years old, good shape, wake up, I'm 65, I have 750000 cash value. Um, that can, I can borrow against that 
which is off the grid for Medicare um, in terms of the, the deciphering my premiums. Yeah, no, it could it could be individually owned. Oh. So that's not so now that becomes a really now you start understanding why cash value insurance you can make the case why it belongs in your portfolio because there's there's you know potential later. Um, the next thing is is another hated thing by the uh, by by the so-called experts, right. and that's annuities. Yeah, right. right. But not but not all annuities work for keeping Medicare premiums down. It has to be the type of annuity. I mean, in, in a perfect sense, it has to be one that allows you to annuitize with non-qualified money because you get that exclusion ratio. So those who understand these kinds, exclusion ratio means, as just so your listeners know, yep. that's the amount that the IRS views as return of premium. So you're not taxed on it. So you're only taxed on what they consider earnings. Well, a lot of financial advisors who work with annuities, they know this in the context of income tax. But what they don't know is that it also works with the, the amount that has excluded from income tax is also going to be excluded from um, from uh, the Medicare means testing. So so that's a that's a twofer. And now you've just created a pseudo pension for somebody in a world where we don't have pensions. So, so could elaborate for just a second on that. So we got a thought. So an annuity. Now, folks, we're talking about you actually taking a monthly income as a guaranteed income, like the traditional annuity, what it's supposed to be. So, Rob, you got a thousand dollars a month as income from your insurance company, of which six hundred is return of premium and four hundred is gain. So it's a sixty forty ratio. That six hundred, which is return, is not included in your income tax or or in your Medicare means testing either. Is that correct? That's correct. So yeah. so for some people, it's a great program. Now, even if you don't annuitize the annuity okay. and you just are, are taking out regular payments, you're going to be taxed on that. It's going to be fully fully taxable, um, fully, you know, fully part of the MAGI calculation for Medicare premiums. But that's not completely bad because that may be the difference that makes up for your um, reduced Social Security ben benefits because of Medicare, so it you know may you know if you're if drawing that income keeps you right. under that eighty five thousand, then you know it's not a problem. You'll just you know just know that it's right. fully part of the taxable income. Doesn't hurt you for Medicare. And if you go up one bracket to the first part of the the first Irma bracket, well you know what it may still keep you from not going up to the second bracket replaces the lost social, lost social Security. So it's not a complete disaster if you wind up in an annuity, uh, wind up using an annuity for retirement that where you don't annuitize. Yeah, there are two, two more options on the annuity side. For people who have annuities, non-qualified annuities, for instance, um, and they're looking at large um, potential for higher Medicare means testing whatnot, you know, the idea would be to look at your taxes now, maybe start annuitizing now, maybe start start taking money out now while you're well under the $85,000 threshold. It's really about just planning, Rob, saying at the end of this year, what is your tax bracket, what is your MAGI, does it leave us space to get up to, you know, in terms of tax planning, you know, tax bracket management? You know, we have $25,000 until we hit the next tax bracket, maybe we should start filling that tax bracket up so that way come, you know, one or five years from now, we're not automatically in that next tax bracket. You see what I'm saying? So it just opens up the corridor to really start getting dirty in terms of planning for Medicare premiums on top of tax, you know, taxable income premium, uh, taxable income as well. Oh, absolutely. And I'll take it even one step further because yeah. I casually mentioned long-term care planning. Yeah. If you're... If your state allows, because uh, not every these aren't available in every state, there's something what's called the Pension Protection Act of 2006. Well, there's a lot of you know benefits and protections in there for 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 people with uh, qualified retirement plans. But buried in there is a benefit for those concerned about long-term care planning, because if your annuity is uh, qualifies under the Pension Protection Act of 2006, distributions from that annuity. For qualified long-term care expenses are not taxable. So, to use your example, you open up the planning portion, 
they're sitting with a client, and the client has an annuity they bought years ago, right. a low basis type of thing. They right. know if they cash out the annuity, they're going to get hit with tax charges. Maybe they don't want to annuitize it. You could say, well, here's, a, here's an option. You could do a tax-free transfer to an annuity with that, that meets the, the uh, Pension Protection Act of 2006. You leave the single loan. You let it continue to, to grow tax-deferred. It still can pass on to your heirs of your choosing, you know, just like any other annuity will, or most annuities will anyway. And, but here's the, here's the benefit. Should you need long-term care, now you can take money out of that contract and not pay any taxes on it. And not subject to Medicare means testing either. Correct. So that would be, that would be a huge, huge, huge benefit. That's and nice. so that is huge. Yeah. No. Keep going. Keep going. That's uh. I didn't so, that, so that's so that's a. I mean, that's just another planning thing. And uh, depending on the state and depending on the carrier, there's not that many carriers that that offer these, but the ones that do, you could sometimes get a joint protection on there um, for long-term care, and they and they work a little differently how they are. Just to keep it simple, there's some leverage component to it. So that two hundred thousand dollars, right? Let's say in that annuity, might be four hundred thousand or six hundred thousand available on one or two lives over the course of, a, of of several years, and you can choose how you want to spend that if you need the care. That's not the contract. Just to be clear, that's not the contract value. That's only if you trigger the long term care benefits. So you just uh, got to throw that in there. Um, and finally. Well, real quick, on the annuities, so on the annuities, do they stay, let's just say, because I've come across this a million times a Sunday, a guy buys an annuity in, let's just say, 1997, it hasn't grown that much because the fees have just weighed him down, but it has grown. I mean, there is a pretty significant unrealized gain in there, a taxable event if you were to just take a large distribution. So it's pre-Pension Protection Act, now... Can he, I mean, so let's just say we look at transferring that to another annuity because you might have long-term care expenses. Do the other annuities say that this qualifies for the, uh, the tax deduction or the tax-free thing, or how do you know? You see what I'm saying? Well, you, you, you would know because uh, when you work with a competent advisor, they would know, who, you know who's, who does a lot of long-term care planning. They would match you up with a contract that has that benefit in there uh, so that, so that you would, you know, because otherwise you're just moving it for the sake of moving it, right? And you know that, and, you know, and that opens up a whole other problem, and that's not that's not the right thing to do for the client. If there's an actual bona fide benefit that solves yeah. a problem that, that you know the client's trying to solve, well, now you have a legitimate reason to to tell, to show the client that here, here's a way where we could make these gains yeah. not a problem for ordinary income tax. Should you need long-term care? If you, you know, if you never need the long-term care, well, then it's going to follow the same rules as what you right. had before. So, uh, this this yeah. is, um, I just got to say, it's fundamental about financial planning. And, and, the, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, Rob. Just bear with me just a second. But in the back of my mind, of all the clients I've dealt with, I can't tell you how many people want to leave their annuities alone because of the, um, you know, the taxable consequence of pulling money out. And instead, what they'll do is they'll take, distributions from IRAs to match whatever expenses on long-term care. And I'm just using this for an example. But what you're saying right there is that there is a better strategy. I mean, you're going to have to take your RMDs, your required distributions. That's no looking around that. But at the end of the day, instead of doubling or tripling your IRA distributions to meet your long-term care needs, you can put your old annuity that didn't qualify under the Pension Protection Act into another annuity that does not be subject to any kind of income tax there, start pulling money out in order to qualify for long-term care. And, again, we don't need to get into the, all the, the – what qualifies not at this stage, but if there is a qualified long-term care expense, you pay for tax-free income tax on top of that free from Medicare means testing as opposed to pulling more and more out of your IRA, which does the exact opposite, increases your income tax, which increases your Medicare premiums as well. I, I mean, just – that's a, that's a huge financial planning concept that uh, gets, I, I mean, I know I've overlooked that. I know for a fact. And again, that's, uh, that's significant it, stuff there. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's beautiful. And, and I've, I've presented it actually to, to uh, 
some, you know, financial planners, and at the end of the day, like it. But at the end of the day, a lot of them don't do it because in their mind, they don't want to see the client take that money out of the accounts that they're managing right. and putting, you know, and planning for long-term care. And my reply to that is very simple. I said, what do you think is going to happen when there's no, there's no long-term care plan in place? All of your assets now, or all your clients' assets right. now, are now up for grabs to be used. So it's, you know, it's, and you didn't lose, the client didn't lose the money. The money still is earning money inside that annuity. Call right. it a fixed income allocation. And, you know, and then, you know, adjust how you manage their other money. And in a few years, if there's no long-term care event, you know, that you could, the amount that you have under management would grow back up anyway. And now the yeah. client has even more protection. It's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling. And then, um, going back to the life insurance too real quick is, I've heard a million times a Sunday too, and having raised my uh, cut my teeth through Vanguard, that I always want to buy term and invest the rest. And, and I just gotta say, Rob, that that makes sense on paper. Absolutely makes sense on paper. When it comes to actual the structuring, it though, and, and I just want to be clear here to anyone who's listening, life insurance is not evil. It's inanimate. It doesn't. It it's neither good nor bad. It just is. Life insurance used correctly is a wonderful tool, and I'll just use this example real quick. I'll never forget. I was always against uh, permanent life insurance until I came across this guy. He had like three and a half million of cash value. It was getting five point eight five percent a year guaranteed as an interest, and his cost of insurance was so because he took it out when he was in his thirties. His company dumped a hundred thousand bucks a year in there for ten years when he was in his thirties. Now Rob, he's sixty five years old. I mean, the thing was just a smoking plan. He was getting 5.85%, tax-free, completely liquid. At his death, his wife was going to get like seven, six or $7 million of tax-free life insurance. Or if he wanted to, he could spend the whole freaking thing basically, um, you know, if he borrowed against it. But you cannot tell me there's no investment that outperformed that. Because 5.85% tax-free and his tax bracket was equivalent of almost 10% a year in, a, in an aggressive portfolio. And, and life insurance, in this case, was 100% guaranteed. So, again, that's not everybody. That's, you know, maybe that's 20% of the population who, who has life insurance that will get that kind of benefit. But it can be valuable, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. And then there are two more things that, yeah. help, keep the Medi that help keep the Medicare thing. I'm going to save the best one for last because okay. it works into into the work you do with your clients. The, um, the second to last one is home equity. Um, and that, and, and in particular, the type of home equity um, that works really well for this is someone using a reverse mortgage. Okay, now, right. I, know, right. I know FINRA, which is one of the rec regulators out there, they softened their stance on it. They used to say you could only use this as the last resort. Well, if you're at the last resort, no lender is going to give you a loan. Anyway, they've changed that. And they, you know, they said, you know, just to be, you know, they want you to, uh, to think about, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the due diligence behind it. Still, most um, investment firms, they pr prohibit their advisors from discussing this because they're worried about the past abuses. Okay, that being said, here's the reality of how it works. Home equity is off the grid. When you take out that home equity and spend it, you're, it's off the grid for taxes, off the grid for Medicare. Okay, so some of these new um, uh, reverse mortgage products, what they've done, uh, come out over the years, is you have um, a reverse line of credit. Couple 62, let's use that example as an example. They don't need any money today out of their equity. They open this up. The lender tells them exactly how much it's going to, how much they can borrow out of their, out of their um, equity at each year in the future. So, now you've essentially built another, an, an, another cash um, value that you can use um, at a future date. And here's what's great about it is that now becomes part of your long-term care planning, maybe a, your age in place, maybe to offset because your Medicare premiums got really expensive and now you want some money for some bills. That's, you know, that, that's a great option um, to do. Free of income and Medicare means testing taxes as well. Right. So they're not for everybody. You have to be very careful, and you got to check. You know, and, and people who who deal with you know advisors out there, they you know many times your advisor may not be allowed to even talk to you about this. No. But these are things that that 
again, looking at the rules that Medicare and Social Security have, and you know, in the IRS, this is an option for some people. And there are other there are other types of of um, reverse mortgages out there. I just gave one as an example. And again, conversation for another time. Conversation for an expert who deals in these things. I just bring it up because it is one of the things that that is very Medicare friendly. And yeah. very much overlooked too, Rob. I mean, I mean, I was never allowed to talk about reverse mortgages at my previous firm. I'll tell you that right now. That I worked there for ten years because a they didn't sell them. B they're ignorant about mm-hmm. them. And uh, and and see, they just you know again, ignorance is not bliss. But uh, reverse mortgages are getting more and more street cred when it comes to the financial planning industry. And I imagine five years from now, it'll be uh, it'll be just another tool in our tool belt. But until then, they're not. So, folks, uh, if you have clients or if you're you know, was it sixty two is when is that the minimum age to qualify? Is that what it is? Right. Well? Okay. Pretty much in almost every state. And I'll just add one thing. Yeah. Build on what you're saying. You're probably right about the five years because right now, about being more universally recognized, right now the American College for uh, Financial Services in Pennsylvania, they're doing a tremendous amount of research on this. Yeah. Uh, they're very public about what, what they've done. Uh, they have some people who have doctorates, CFPs, uh, really looking at this and saying this like, oh, my God, there's a tremendous amount of yeah. planning. And, and, again, not for everybody, but in many cases it works really well. Absolutely. The last thing, the last thing to use, and you're and you'll know this because I've seen you and I've heard you talk about this Roth IRA, any type of Roth account, (laughs) and the Roth, and it doesn't just have to be the Roth IRA that people put five thousand, six thousand, whatever in a year. Um, It could be a Roth four hundred one k, Roth four hundred three b, Roth four fifty seven, any type of Roth type account. And the beauty of this is, under current rules, and of course Congress could change this, yeah. it's off the grid from the Medicare calculation. Yes, absolutely. So, so I'm sitting there looking at this, and especially now with this new tax plan yes. uh, that came out at the end of last year, yep. okay, many Americans are not going to itemize. And you're going to have many Americans who are, um, you know, based on what they're earning, they're really not going to be federal income. Uh, state taxes is a different story, but at least on the federal side, many of them are not going to have a problem with federal income taxes yep. above and beyond what's already deducted from their check. So why would you want tax deferral, which ultimately is going to be on the grid later? Why not just start off with Roth and use the? And if your employer offers the Roth four hundred one k, use the Roth four hundred one k. Now, now, keep in mind, if your employer does match contributions, right. the employer is taking the deduction on that. You're not going to want to put that part in the Roth. Um, you're going to probably want to put that in the uh, for, traditional 401k side because that's you know, to handle the employer match. But your contributions out of your check, you might want to have go to the Roth side and never have to deal with this again. <laughs> Man, I, I cannot tell you. How man, I tell you, that is one of the most underutilized methods of planning there is a Roth IRA. And it's funny because, folks, before uh, we got on, uh, recorded this, Rob and I were talking about a CPA. He was uh, debating, let's put it that way, on uh, on social media, talking about Medicaid versus Medicare. And the CPA has was ignorant about the two distinctions. It's almost the same thing with IRAs, tax deferrals, and tax free. That everyone just, I don't know what it is by training, I suppose, but everyone says kick the tax can down the road. Even, even if down the road is a tax bomb that you're walking right into, for some reason, it's not just TPAs, it's like everybody. Don't pay a penny more tax today, um, pay it more later, even if it's going to cost you $10 later. It's worth saving the pain today, and that's absolutely bad, bad, bad planning. And, uh, I mean, I could, especially, Rob, you hit it on the head too. Why? Why defer stuff? You're not deferring. You're not getting a tax benefit a lot with the new standard deductions. And so, if you're not getting a tax benefit, all you're doing is putting that out for ah, it drives you up the wall. It's insane. And, and and there's a lot to do. And then and again, that goes when you're when you're sitting down with you know with the types of clients you're working with. So let's say you take someone older than the young person I I described. Now you have someone who's let's say ten years away from. Uh, you know, from retiring, right? That's a great. 
that's yeah. a great discussion yeah. to have. Right. The only yeah. thing, you, you know, to convert traditional Roth, the only thing I will caution people about is be careful on your age. Because remember, depending upon when you're going to go on to Medicare, mm -hmm. Medicare looks back two years. Uh, so, so, so even though... So even though converting is the right thing to do for tax planning and and for and and for other types of planning, uh, you don't uh, the conversion actually is part of your modified adjusted gross income. So you don't want to do a, a huge conversion when you're 63. Um, but if you're 53 and you know you're you're in some prime earning years and now you got this new um, tax law, have that conversation with your financial advisor and your CPA and say, okay. Put me on a plan where I can start converting traditional IRA, traditional 401k, and start slowly converting that to the Roth side. I'll pay the tax today right. and get it out of the get it out of the picture. Now, if you do, I'm curious. The Medicare is just year by year. So if you have a big year this year, but then you're you know, no, no income the following year. The Medicare premiums will spike for the two years out, but then the following year they'll go back down, right? Because it's year by year they adjust it. Um, yes and no. They're technically, and I and you'll forgive me because I don't have them all in my in my head. But there right. are about seven reasons uh, that Medicare will adjust the premiums down. So if you get divorced, or um, you know, you so I think there's one if you're if you had a problem with your business. Um, there's there's about seven criteria where Medicare will look at it. You could petition, it's called appeal, Medicare, and say, look, my income really changed, okay? And uh, I'm not going to have the same modified adjusted gross income anymore. I shouldn't have those higher premiums. Oh. And I've had heard, I have heard cases of people being very successful in getting them lowered. Um, and that also sometimes happens with, the, you know, with divorce because depending upon right. the alimony right. and... Uh, you know that picture. Um, and it could, you know, could work in their favor. Of course, if part of their divorce settlement was a whole bunch of qualified money, because you got the, uh, you got a good chunk of your your ex husband's four hundred one k. I've seen this happen. Right. Ex husband was a uh, ex husband was a uh, radiologist. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yep. There was a lot of money in there, and you, you know what? She could appeal, but. Her R&Ds that she's going to have to take soon from all that qualified money are just going to bring her right back up. So her case is not going to work. But for people who weren't married to a surgeon before and just some you know regular um, you know uh, guy, no offense to him, but you're not going you know you're generally either a not going to have the problem to begin with, or you would be able to petition it down. So that answers your question. But it is an appeal process. Um, Medicare, whose desk, whose desk it gets on. Um, I'd like to say out of the out of the um, ones that they say yes, we will lower them on. You know, go through without a snag. But we're dealing with the government here; right? it doesn't always fly through right away. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, it, it can happen. So that's why it's very important, as I remind people, pay attention to your age. So if you like the Roth concept, do it earlier. If you're really young. Just start off with start, it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting, though, with the uh, appeal, you actually have to appeal the federal government to pay them less. So just think, I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, Rob, most likely they'll grant you the appeal, but you're still appealing to the feds on something that should be automatic and it's not. And so if you are doing that at 63, it made Rob conversion. Um, you know, there will be a pain point for you at 65 when you sign up for Medicare. And then 66... If you've converted everything over and it's no longer sub, it's no longer your tax taxable income, you still got to go back and say, "Hey guys, revisit this." And you know, again, will they do it probably? But that's not the same as being automatic, which is uh, which is interesting. Oh yeah, and, and, and I just pulled this up just to um, just if your listeners want more information for it, it's on. Um, it's actually listed on the hhs.gov website yeah. about the appeals process for Part B. And um, and you know I knew about death of spouse and marriage, divorce or annulment, work reduction, work stoppage, loss of income for an income producing property. So if somebody had a whole bunch of apartment buildings and that was burned to the ground, and right. you wound up settling with the insurance company. That might work. Certain types of pension income, but there's also um, situations that happen to do with inaccurate tax data. 
when the IRS was given the wrong data um, or Social Security provided the wrong data. Um, but what's not in there is someone saying, hey, I converted right, exactly. to, a, to a Roth one year and I don't have that anymore, or I took that fat payout at that big severance package, okay, that they're not going to work with you on. So, so like that, uh, age is critical here. Um, mm -hmm. All right, Rob, well, we are up against an hour, and I don't want to, I know you got other things to do. How do, so this, I tell you, man, we'll get you back on. This is absolutely fantastic. How do people get a hold of you, Rob? Um, you know, just put you, what do you do? How do you, you know, how do you work with clients? I mean, are you only in New York? Or just tell us about your business and how people can, uh, can work with you, man. I mean, I, I work in, in uh, a few states, um, working on hopefully one day being nationwide. But right now, I'm, I'm in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Florida, Pennsylvania, um, certain services I do in, uh, in uh, South Carolina. Um, but uh, the best way to get a hold of me, I'll, I'll give my number. I have a toll-free number. It's 888-383-2789. Yeah. Uh, and drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you, and um, you know we can talk about this if you are in one of those states. And Josh, I'd love to talk, keep, keep talking to you more and more about this because it's, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, I, I love dealing with other professionals who really get this major problem out there. No, absolutely. And I'll uh, make sure you email me that number. I'll put in the show notes too, and uh, in your contact, uh, just any contact that you have. So. The issue here, folks, is um, I just I just want to point out, and then I'll let you you know get on to your day, Rob. Is that um, just because someone's credentialed, CFP, master's degree, CFA, all this stuff, uh, doesn't mean uh, this is going to sound rude to my colleagues, but it doesn't mean they know anything. It just doesn't. It doesn't mean they don't. It's just at the end of the day, the the issues that we have to contend with are real that you're all going to be facing. And think about too, just like this, Rob's in New York State. I'm in Georgia. It costs a heck of a lot more to live in New York State than it does in Georgia. So if I'm a widow in New York, um, I'm probably going to be up against that eighty-five thousand dollars threshold a lot sooner than someone living in Georgia, just because of the nature of the uh, the income up there relative to the people down here. And uh, and so it's not state specific in terms of how much more your Medicare premiums cost. And you could be right in New York City, Manhattan, still eighty-five thousand bucks. And you could be sitting there in, I don't know, Topeka, Kansas, still eighty-five thousand bucks to pay more in Medicare premiums, and that's a that's a big deal. And um, anyway, Rob, this. Cause I'm home in 
Massachusetts When my daughters and my wife They wait for me All alone But the truth is It's where I always am It's where I long to be And I love starting Keep getting older Time keeps going by To think about it Makes your daddy wanna cry So I just pass the sign That welcomes me to Worthington Established long before This country came to be That hasn't really changed with time The way this country that I love it used to be Because I'm home In Massachusetts When my daughters and my wife They wait for me Cause I